Welcome, guys, back to the Grateful Living podcast. Today, I'm thankful to have Emily Neal with me. Emily is a professional ballet dancer. She was most recently a soloist at Ballet West in 2020. Over a five-year time period at Ballet West, she moved up from a trainee to being invited to the join the group in 2016 to becoming a demi-soloist in 2018 and then a soloist in 2020. Uh, she graduated from the Ellison Ballet Academy in 2015, and she was also the cover star for Point Magazine Summer's Edition in 2019. Emily, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. It's great to, to be here with you. Of course, thankful to have you. So, uh, you know, take us to the beginning, you know, where you grew up, your, your family situation, and what type of kid you were. Okay, uh, well, I, I hail from New England. Um, I know you from my time in Acton, Massachusetts. Um, I was born in New York City, uh, the city that my parents met. Um, I am a first generation child. My mom came from uh, Beijing and my dad was born in Baghdad and his family um, immigrated to the United States, um, to New York, um, when he was a child. So, um, my brother and I are first generation Americans and we grew up in the city for the first parts of our life and then moved to New Jersey, um, spent seven years there. And then that's when we moved to Massachusetts when my mom, um, her work, uh, it was transferred to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, so yeah, uh, that's when I started my ballet journey. Like I didn't know anybody in Acton and, um, my mom, like she had, there was like some family connection there, um, with, uh, someone that went to a family that went to college with her brother in China. So their daughter happened to be my age and in my grade. So, um, she did ballet and then that's how I got into it just to kind of make friends um, at Acton School of Ballet. Then, um, yeah, did like the whole, whole school thing, just navigating life as a regular kid in the suburbs. And um, I would go to summer programs um, for ballet just um, to learn more about training and like a setting that is more serious than uh, recreational. And that's how I would spend most of my summers um, for the majority of my childhood. Um, and then one summer, uh, this woman, Patricia McBride, she was like this legend with um, the New York City Ballet. She was one of the, the muses of George Balanchine, who's a huge name in the choreographing world. Um, and he uh, started the New York City Ballet. Um, she basically said, if you wanna do this seriously, if you wanna actually pursue ballet, I think that you have a shot, but you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to go to like a serious pre-professional school. You're gonna have to transition into a more focused lifestyle. Um, and um, I'll help you do that if you're, if that's something you want. And that was when I was 15 and I had just uh, completed my freshman year of high school with uh, Acton Boxborough Regional High School. Shout out, blue yeah, and gold. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't failing school by any means, but I definitely didn't have like any direct passion in any subject. I just felt like I was moving through emotions more than anything. And I looked forward to ballet more than I looked forward to um, classes. So I just kind of took that jump. Um, yeah, wait, before you before you go to New York um, yeah for sure the, the you know multi-identity nature of your background I'm uh, curious how that's shaped you um, mm -hmm. and have you ever felt a part of fully any identity that's a great question <laughs> Um, I think at the, and are we, 
I mean, I guess I'll just take the answer, the question how I took it. But at the time, I, I really did struggle with identity. I think that's something, um, you know, when you grow up in a very, um, you know, Caucasian environment, and especially when you have parents that are not American, like, or didn't grow up as an American, um, you know, I think that's something that a lot of kids, you have to kind of go through that, uh, that mystery of just like, who, who am I? Like, who, um, who do I want to be? Like, what do I believe in? What do I care about? Um, what is being put on me that I'm just kind of accepting? And um, what do I actually like? And I definitely struggled with that. Um, the only thing I really felt I had an identity in was ballet um, for the most part, because, um, you know, the only thing that really mattered was your dancing and um, what you could uh, produce in, in terms of like performance and uh, in class when you're trying to improve on things. Everything else like school, like social situations, it definitely always felt like I was floating um, between groups of people. Um, just you trying were, to you, you were a happy base right that's yeah that the term? Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and it very yeah definitely felt like it you know it's like you go hang out with like I did Chinese dance and I loved that I loved like the crew that I met there and like that was awesome but I was like you know the half Asian one or one of the half Asian ones there and then when I'd go to school and most of my friends were you know white then I was the half, the half Asian one there too. And it was just felt like um, there wasn't just like, you know, not a mentioning of the idea of being half Asian. So that was very interesting to navigate as a kid. Do you remember when you first started being aware of that identity? Um, let's see. I mean, I think for sure, I think, well, my mom, she, her first language is Mandarin. So I think when I started to feel in the family, actually just growing up, um, I didn't speak Mandarin mm. and I didn't really have like a deep interest in learning how to speak Mandarin. Cause you know, it's a very difficult language if you're not just surrounded by it constantly. Um, and yeah, it was before socializing in a school setting that I think that identity sunk in of like, oh, I am not, um, I am not necessarily um, comparable. I mean, I shouldn't be comparable ever, but it's like, I'm not able to identify with anyone around me directly, um, especially in those moments when my mom would be speaking Mandarin with other members of her family, you know, grand, her side of the family. And I would just be sitting there like trying to guess what everyone's saying. And like, I knew they were talking about me and I was like, okay, like there's something different here that I'm experiencing and I wish I could understand, but I don't. Yeah. Talk to us about, you know, ballet and, you know, obviously our parents put us into a lot of different activities, but you know, it seems like from a young age, you know, in your summers and, and things like that, you were taking it, you know, not seriously, but you were really passionate about it. Um, you know, young people tend to be all over the place. So I'm curious, you know, what was your mindset in being so passionate about it? What did you love about ballet? Yeah, um, I think I liked I mean, I loved like the costumes. I loved um, the idea of just being a character that, um, you know, you get to just be that person. Like you get to wear the beautiful costume. You get to be with the music. You get to share the storyline. I was a big geek for ballet videos. And I think that's something that um, brought the passion just cause I would be watching the same like DVDs over and over again because I only had like three or so. Um, and yeah, just like watching these different stories um, from 
it was American Ballet Theater, I believe the, the, the videos, but um, yeah, I don't know, I just watched them, thought it was really, really um, just something that I wanted to do. I could like, just, I don't know, it was a very natural drawing to the art form. I, I loved music. I just like, you know, in my room, I would just dance around. So it's the idea of dancing on a stage with all this elaborate uh, setting around you and music and it just seems so dreamlike. It just, yeah. it was always a, an interest. Yeah. So at, at 15, you're, you're considering the, the move to New York. Talk, talk to us about that process, you know, especially, I guess I'm interested in your parents being okay with that because, you know, I think so many of us are, are brought up in a, a traditional high school, college, you know, that's the path. Um, to move to New York City at 15 is a, a very different path. Yeah, I mean, at the time it didn't. Yeah, I guess you were right about that. My parents were very, uh, I guess, like super supportive, like in, in the sense where they knew that um, I knew I would like to make it sound nicer than it is, but in the end they know and they, they still know that um, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And that's something that I think that they understood, especially my mother at a young age, um, where she knew that if I had this like deep wanting to do something, um, that you know she would support it as long as I was the one that was pulling her almost to, uh, like to convince her that it's something worth, um, you know, quote unquote, investing in. Um, and so, you know, my dad, he wasn't so supportive at the time. He was, you know, he wanted me to stay in school and like a regular schooling setting socially and, you know, take the college route um, or prepare for that route. But um, I think my mom, she's always been interested in the arts and I mean, same with my dad, but she, she definitely knew that I really wanted it. And so I think, um, I think as long as I um, showed signs of willingness and passion and dedication and, um, you know, seriousness and not just like trying to leave something aimlessly, I think that's what ultimately led to their support, um, even though it was probably a really hard decision for them, um, both morally and financially. Were you, were you alone in New York City? I was alone. Wow. In Wow, that's, that's yeah, I wasn't really alone, though, because I had, um, you know, I had friends that were also moving there to, to go dance and train. So there, it's, it was essentially like a little bubble, like I left everything that I knew alone. But then once I entered the bubble, I didn't feel like I was alone. How did you, uh, you know, I guess all your AB friends are, you know, you know, I mean, they're working hard, but they're sort of, you know, less, in, in that sense, less like, like ambitious in terms of working, you know, as hard as, you know, I, I assume a pre-professional ballet program, you know, you were entering an intense program while they're probably just hanging out at the park, you know, and, and things like, I mean, how was that process of telling them that you were going after this this dream well most of my AV friends at the time were like dancers like at um, acting school ballet yeah um you know although it wasn't to as serious of a degree um they definitely loved ballet and so I think the friends that I had at AV at the time were they were so supportive and I'm still friends with many of them today um just very supportive. Uh, I don't think anyone realized how intense the training would be, including myself, because you know we had all gone to summer programs, different summer programs, um, so we knew what the environment was like. But um, yeah, I guess at the time it just didn't seem as serious. It was more just the idea of oh, I love this. Um, I I know how to work at it. 
It's something that I understand more than studying. Um, so let's just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk yeah. to it. It was, I, I might say this wrong, but Gelsey Kirkland Academy? Yeah, that was, yeah. that was a great, you said it just yeah. right. Talk um, to us about that, that year and how it went. Gelsey Kirkland Academy. It was the first, um, so what happened was like, I, I went to New York and I originally, the plan was to audition for School of American Ballet, which is the school for New York City Ballet. And Patricia McBride, that's, she was helping me with that audition. She was basically setting it up for me and just getting it going. Um, and then I was attending GKA, uh, their summer program, because Gelsey Kirkland Academy wasn't a thing at that point. It had started as a summer program and was going to develop into a school that following year. Mm. Uh, or season and so I my mom had heard about it saw it in an ad in uh, Point Magazine and was like oh this legendary ballerina Gelsey Kirkland like she used to dance with New York City Ballet like maybe if you go to this before the audition it'll be good I went um, and I ended up injuring myself there um, and I couldn't go to the audition so then I that's what made me go to the school just because because uh you know I really liked working with Gelsey. I liked, uh, she, she's just legend in the ballet world. Like she's mm -hmm. one of the greatest artists. I feel like that has come from American ballet in, um, you know, decades. And so it was just cool to be around that. And I had no other option. Um, so it wasn't the most intentional choice, but it was, it happened. And then the time I was there, the first year was actually, um, kind of a challenge for me because she is a very uh, esoteric type artist. Like she was introducing these ideas of uh, visions and storytelling that I hadn't really thought of. Like instead of following the, um, you know, the more regular approach of a storyline and just understanding characters and et cetera, through a ballet, she was more about creating a story with everything that you do, like being intentional with every movement that you do. And being 15 and kind of, you know, going through my own personal journey of like being this like teenager in New York City away from home, um, it just wasn't clicking, but it, it was, now I look back at it and I know it actually did click. It's just, I was resisting it. I, there was a lot of, um, resistance from what I knew. And so that first year definitely was um, a year of surrender ultimately, where there was all this resisting, a lot of um, difficulty, especially with healing the injury and then coming back from the injury and then being like trying to, you know, the feeling of proving yourself and your worth after not dancing for a little bit. Um, yeah, and then eventually coming to a realization that um, I don't know as much as I think I know and that I need to just listen to um, these teachers and just kind of see what happens. That was definitely the what I can remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so the Ballet West audition happens in 2016? That, that was, so... GKA, it was one year um, when I first moved. I think it must have been like 2012 or 2011 to 2012 or something. And then after that, um, so I attended GKA another half year um, after that first year. Um, and at the time, uh, things started actually going well. There was, um, I had a partner, like a dance partner who was also one of my best friends um, named Adrian. And him and I like got to work together that uh, first season of the second half, the second year. Um, and we got to do this ballet called Le Bayadere and we were playing like this lead uh, principal couple. And I've never done anything like that before. Um, you know, and we got to work with Gelsey Kirkland and her husband, um, Misha Chernoff. And at the time, it just felt like this, you know, dream scenario of like, wow, like this is this must be what it feels like to actually be like a ballerina, um, getting this amazing, amazing coaching and all of that. 
it was a great experience. And then afterwards, Adrian and I wanted to go to a summer program, like for uh, this other school, which was Ellison Ballet, mm. um, to work with Edward Ellison, who's like this, you know, kind of, he's very artistically driven as well, but like his methods are a lot more detail oriented, like very almost um, like harsh conditions. Like you just know it's gonna be cut and dry and like you sign up knowing that that's what you're about to enter if you're accepted. Um, and we both wanted that for our own like technical development. And um, Gelsey's husband did not take very, did not take it very well. And it was a kind of, when I look back now it was definitely a traumatic experience. Like there was a lot of, um, you know, yelling, a lot of just like, you know, naming like me and Adrian who were teenagers at the time, like, yeah. oh, you guys are selfish. Like, um, like we've given you so much, like it was really hard to process. Yeah. But um, ultimately we decided to um, talk with um, Gelsey and her husband of like, okay, we do want to do the summer program. We've decided that, um, how will that affect us with you guys? And her husband basically like set the tone of just like, oh, well, we can't, um, we're basically not going to want to work with you as much because you're not showing dedication to us. And, um, you know, and then on the side, Gelsey would talk to us individually and Gelsey, you know, explained her departure from New York City Ballet and how she wanted to do other work and work with other people with American Ballet Theater and she was called a traitor at the time by a lot of her colleagues. And she explained her empathy um, with our situation. So I felt like that was a good sign that, um, you know, cause she was the one that I looked up to more than anything. Um, and so Adrian and I ended up leaving the school yeah. <laughs> that day. And um, that's when we entered Ellison. He took us under his wing. He let us come and take classes with him even though that we were kind of abandoned for a second. Like we just went to his rooftop in uh, Tribeca and just like looked at the sky. I remember that day so yeah. clearly. We were like, what are we gonna do? But um, that's how we got into Ellison. And then both of us graduated from that school. And then, then Valley West came after that. Okay, cool, cool. Um, I guess, I mean, do you have any pieces of advice for, for someone, you know, maybe a younger dancer who's in that time period, um, you know, yeah um basically just uh follow your gut like do what you want to do um that time I think I was struggling a lot with like thinking like you know just wanting to listen to people um over my own instincts and of course it's important to listen but um uh, yeah to stay strong in like your own desires your own uh you know, sense that you're picking up on of where you should go. I think it's important to never feel guilty for following your intuition um, and never to let somebody else's voice that might seem more authoritative or, um, you know, like all knowing, you know, like someone that's trying to impose that on you, never, never let that overcome like your, your inner compass. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about the ballet West Uh, just the experience there. Yeah, I mean, so so you graduate from Ellison Ballet in 2015, is that it? And then yes. Okay, and then 2016, you're auditioning. That's when I, yeah, so 20, the audition process actually happens like while you're training. So um, while I was training at the school at Ellison uh, Ballet Professional Training Program, uh, we do all of our auditions like while we're training. So um, it's just like an understood process where you just need to communicate with your teachers and et cetera. And Ballet West, um, <clears throat> they were performing at the Joyce Theater in New York. And so, uh, you know, I emailed Adam, the director there. I let him know that I would love to audition if they would have me for class. Um, and then I got to take class with them, like the company members that were there. And um, Adam basically pulled me aside afterwards and explained that they didn't have any contracts for a taller dancer um, in their second company um, and none for the main company either. So he offered me a traineeship, which is essentially another year of schooling. Um, and then I 
told him I would think about it. And then when I graduated from the school from Ellison, um, pretty much that day, I was like, okay, I think I'm, I feel good about going to, to Salt Lake City and trying this traineeship. And then that's when it, so once I graduated, um, I think the summer happened and that summer I, I relocated to Salt Lake. Um, and yeah, I did a year of the trainee program, which was a very hard year. I think I was going through through all of this, like there's the career and then there's like the self and the self I can look back on and say, I was definitely depressed. I was going through, um, you know, very depressive thoughts, very uh, fearful thoughts. I didn't know uh, what my path was leading me to. I didn't have any sort of, I don't know. I didn't have any uh, real answers at that point, other than like, this is where you're at now. And um, that's it. I didn't know anyone in Salt Lake City when I moved there, um, except someone that um, he had been in New York, like with another uh, student, uh, another company essentially for young dancers. And, um, but like, he wasn't necessarily like a friend um, at the time. So I definitely felt very alone. Um, and, you know, being away from your family, being on a completely different um, wavelength in terms of like <laughs> the energy that you're yeah. around. Yeah, like not the same as New York, like yeah. not the same as the East Coast, like yeah. completely different, um, like, you know, just a lot to take in. And the trainee program, you know, just felt like I was just training more. And I was like, I, I don't know if I'm gonna ever become a professional or if I'm just gonna keep training. Yeah. Um, see what happened after that yeah it was dark time but then uh the year ended and then um basically uh adam offered me a contract for the second company for the following season and you know felt so grateful and i just you know it felt like a, a weight was lifted and that there was some sort of traction happening um in terms of my career finally um so that was cool um, and through all of this, I have to mention like the summer, it's like, that's really the only time you have off, um, when you're in this type of setting of pre-professional training that like, you have train, 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 train for months. Like you just, that's your life. And then you have a break for the summer, like, and you can either use that summer to do like a program, a training program or vacation or both. And so what I would do is I would go back to New York and I would train with Ellison, touch up on uh, details, you know, those more difficult nitty gritty things that he's so good at breaking down. Um, and I would also, you know, go to this music festival <laughs> called Bonnaroo in uh, Manchester, Tennessee. And I think that had a huge part in like my overall personal development um, while navigating all of this. Cause it was, you know, a complete, like I had never really been in those environments growing up, but I had friends that um, spoke very highly about this festival. And I just remember um, going there and feeling like I had like understood the true meaning of beauty <laughs> just because everyone was just roaming on their own terms, uh, helping each other out, like creating a sense of community. There's like a very magical energy there that I think would replenish me for the next season. And I would take what I would develop as a person and then bring it in. So when I joined the second company, I was just like super pumped, ready to go, um, feeling good. And then within two months, um, I guess there was like some spots that opened in the main company. And so two months into the second company um, training, I got a contract and that kind of started my real um, company standing with uh, Ballet West. Yeah. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there any specific questions like further guess, or do you want me to just keep yeah. going? No, I mean, so I guess the, the first thing is, you know, do you have any tips for ballet dancers when it comes to auditioning? Mm. Yes, actually. Um, I think uh honing in on like your presence i think is something that i wish i could have prepared a little bit more before entering the audition 
circuit um, as a pre-professional. I think um, it's so easy to get caught up in comparison and uh, just, you know, feeling like it's this intense environment because it is an intense environment and there are people that are giving off that energy and it feels very cutthroat. Um, but uh, if you can try and hone in on just like your own sense of uh, presence, you know, being able to keep your a steady breath, being able to stay focused on your own abilities, your own, uh, I guess, um, identity that you're bringing to the room. Um, then whether you get accepted or rejected, you know, you at least can say that you were present, that you gave it your all and to hopefully find value in that as opposed to finding value on if or not you get the position or if you get cut or not. Like, I think there was a lot of expectation and disappointment with my personal experience because I didn't yet understand the importance of being with myself and my own grounded energy. Um, so that's the best advice I can give. And that's yeah. something that I'm working on for auditions in the future, if there are any. Yeah, yeah. Any, any advice on uh, rejections? I feel like that's a staple of this industry, unfortunately. Yeah. Rejection. Um, yeah, to not look at it as a bad thing. I think uh, rejection, you know, it is disappointing. It's obviously, it can be heartbreaking depending on how much you love a company that you're auditioning for. Um, but I think it's important to recognize rejection as more of a, a lesson of some sort of like, what it is that you uh, feel rejected from, I guess. Like, do you feel like um, you're just upset because you were rejected from this company? Do you feel upset because you don't think you gave it your best? Like, there's so many feelings that come with the idea of rejection that I think just aren't necessarily, um, they're not always helpful if you can, if you get stuck in the idea of rejection. So when I say to see it as a lesson, um, my best advice would just to be looking at it as like, it is what it is. Um, you can't really look too deep into it. And if, if you look at it as just something that has happened, that is, you know, it's not for you, um, then hopefully you can look at it and be like, okay, um, what do I wanna work on now? Like, what, do I, what did I feel uneasy about? Like, what did I feel um, that I didn't like have complete control over, um, within myself. Like, uh, what, what, what did I feel? What triggers occurred like in that process or with being rejected, just being able to observe everything that comes with the rejection. How, how do you, um, gain confidence? Cause so much of, you know, when you're working with a teacher, I assume, it's mostly critical feedback because they're trying to fix things. Obviously mm -hmm. there'll be some positive feedback, but how did you personally gain confidence in yourself, not only in auditions, but you know, when you were performing? Mm. Uh, well, to be completely frank, I didn't, I struggled with confidence, like, especially when I was training, like I, um, I would say that I was super, super self-deprecating, like as a means of motivation. Like, I think there was a lot of uh, energy that, that was provided from being self-critical all the time, um, at least with my own uh, motivation. And, um, you know, I think with auditions, it didn't help. Like that, that was what I mean when I say it's not always helpful um, to just be critiquing and analyzing. Um, but the confidence, I think with stage, um, it came with performing more than anything. Um, just kind of like uh, the feeling that I remember having that I actually did, I could feel confident to like, you know, play a character fully or to dive into something fully. Um, it, it, you know, Mr. Ellison, like he choreographed a ballet, uh, Carmen, and that's like what I graduated with. Um, performing that piece and you know it's this very confident character it's Carmen she is you know unwaveringly 
confident and strong and powerful and feisty and all these things that I didn't necessarily feel that I um, embodied. Um, but on stage, it's like you have this feeling of like you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to really protect at that point. Like it's like you have to leave it all there and maybe do, it does something good um, to the audience or um, you like, you know, reserve yourself and then regret it later. Yeah. So um, I feel like being on the stage definitely helped with the idea of building confidence, just seeing as like, there's really nothing to hide. There's nothing to be um, withholding. Um, it's just about like putting it out there and then hoping that um, it affects somebody in some way. And then you can leave after that performance feeling like, oh, wow. Like there was not really much thought that went into that. It was just presenting. And um, that is something that I think I, I see as confidence now, really just not thinking about something too much, just giving what you have, knowing that it has some sort of um, good intention behind it. You mentioned when you moved out to Utah, you know, maybe that first year that you were, you know, dealing with depression um you know every year you know ballet dancers are are moving and you know training and going to different cities and obviously that's not a part that you know you or they can control in terms of having friends or the location of where they go but as you look back now as a more mature person is there any piece of advice you would give your you know yourself in that in that time period Mm. I mean, to, to, I wish I could have told myself to see a therapist. <laughs> I think that's something that there's a lot of resistance of the idea of actually asking for help when you are in a place of darkness with yourself. Um, I think it's quite popular for um, artists and just people alike, but especially artists to think that um, suffering is necessary um, for the art, for, um, you know, your own development. Like you think that you find greatness in your suffering, which is definitely proven to be true for a lot of artists. But um, for, for me personally, it's like, you know, that I could definitely see truth in that, but also I would have recommended at least getting uh, a few therapy appointments here and there just to start um, introducing the idea of self-love because um, I know I, I feel very lucky that while I was depressed like I didn't go to a place of self-harm but for young people that might be uh, you know just kind of becoming content with the idea of suffering or being in a depressed state um, it definitely can go um, a very very dark path that I feel lucky to have not gone um, so yeah that's why I would recommend therapists or just yeah. the idea of therapy being positive and not uh you know something that is showing weakness or something yeah yeah that's great advice uh i'm i'm interested you know especially at a professional <laughs> level is it you know you're training so hard is it possible to keep the joy of ballet while you're, you know, training so hard for a performance? <laughs> I think it's possible. I mean, I think it depends on a lot of factors. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, I think in an environment that is, um, okay. How do I word this delicately? Um, so say that you're in an environment where, you know, there's going to be hard work either way. That's just, you know, that's what you're signing up for. You know, that there's going to be physical pain, you know, there's going to be mental strain, you know, that you're going to be exhausted. That's okay. A lot of dancers are cool with that. Um, if you're in an environment where you feel like the work is, um, coming from a place of intention. Like I think there, I've, you know, with my training, especially, it's like there was a lot of intention. There was a lot of desire to improve the art form, to like make the art form 
survive um, in a world where it is, you know, there's a lot of change and not a lot of people love ballet um, as much as they did back in like the seventies um, or, you know, just back in history. But um, if you're in an environment where I feel like you are around people that, that share this common love for this like incredibly difficult art form, um, and want to support each other for the sake of the art form, for the sake of the dance, as opposed to um, the dancer, as opposed to like an egoic um, idea of what ballet should be, you know, this like shining like, prima ballerina, like identity that a lot of dancers want to embody. Um, if it's, if the environment is about the intention, if it's about the dance, I think it's totally possible to still love ballet in the work leading up to performance. Um, if it's coming from a place of ego or for um, you know, caring what people think, um, trying to do things, uh, you know, cutting corners just so that you can um, you know, say that it's done, um, say that uh, you put the work in quote unquote, but then not really having much intention behind that other than just wanting to come off as uh, pleasing, like, uh, you know, avoiding those difficult conversations of having to be uh, const like constructually like critical of people's uh, artistic choices or technique. Like there's a lot of difficulty that goes into that when it comes to the ego. Um, so if people are kind of avoiding those things for the sake of protecting the ego of dancers or whoever's in the room, then I think the enjoyment's lost because it's no longer about the dance at that point. It's about the dancers and um you know that's when the dancers start to lose touch with their love of dance i feel <laughs> yeah 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 uh, injuries are, are part of this industry a lot uh, i'm curious do you have any advice for anyone on staying mentally well while recovering from an injury mm, yeah this is a very uh this might be an unconventional answer, but something that I think I got from my training experience at Ellison, you know, I had an eight month injury uh, where I just had to not be physically active at all, um, pretty much um, while I was training. And one of the things that uh, Mr. Ellison um, and my other teacher, Ms. Forrest, was supportive of was the idea of going to this woman, her name was Kezabon or her name is Kezabon and she's a heart healer. Um, and she was the mother of, or she is the mother of one of the dancers or one of my peers at the, at the school. And so I went to her not really knowing what to expect. I had never done anything like that. Um, and she basically just guided me through like a 45 minute meditation. Um, and uh, you know, introduced me to the ideas of going within um, as a means of healing the physical body. And I had just never really, I, I, I don't know what I thought at the time. Like I just was open to it because um, my mentors were saying that it was something I should do. Um, but now I can see that um, with injury, I think it's so important to, to find, I mean, meditation will help you, but like to be able to go within yourself, to be able to ask yourself if you are limiting yourself in any way, if you are holding on to fear of, um, you know, a healed body, um, like if you're keeping yourself um, subconsciously in a place of um, injury and retreat. Um, I think that was so important to be exposed to at that, uh, you know, developmental age because now I see with any healing, um, physical or mental, um, it's so important to, to kind of tap into those um, deeper questions that um, will eventually you know, come full circle and be, and be answered hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then it does help you let go of like the trauma of facing an injury for sure. How is, uh, how is your approach you know, different as you go from being a part of the company to becoming a demi-soloist to becoming a soloist? What, what's the difference? Is, is there a difference in, in preparation or mentality? Mm. Hmm. 
I think there certainly is, uh, depending on the person. I think for me, it the idea of a title or the idea of being promoted to a position higher up in the company, it definitely was important to me um, just because when you're training and when you're trying to be a dancer, um, you know that the the people that get to play like the the real characters in the story, not this, and you know, the court of ballet is incredibly important. Like it is the 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 base of of everything. Like it's so um, necessary for ballet and powerful. But um, as you promote, as you get promoted, you know, to a demi to a soloist like you're basically being told that you are going to be given more opportunity for these other roles um, that are a little bit more showcased than um, the corps de ballet. So, you know, that already was a lot of, um, a lot of pressure and at the time, just cause I, you know, did struggle with self-confidence and um, it influenced me a lot in that way. But then in reality, it didn't change a lot other than adding work to what was already a very difficult job. Um, you know, with a demi-soloist position, that was probably the hardest experience I had in a professional setting because you're not only still performing corps de ballet um, roles um, and some demi-soloist to soloist roles, um, but you're learning everything. Like you have to understudy um, so many things. Like I think for most ballets, um, I, it was like not uncommon for me to be studying like four to five things at once. And that's really hard to do. And it felt very isolating just because only so many people in the company understand that. And um, it was really hard to kind of feel physically and mentally drained and then also still have expectation of uh, performing the more soloist roles, like with the amount of conviction and certainty as these uh, soloist principal dancers who most of their time was spent on those specific roles and not having to learn um, like four other things that were group things. Um, so it did make a difference. It was kind of just like adding, adding more responsibility to um, what you already had to do as a dancer, um, which came with goods and bads. Yeah. Talk to us about being uh you know, the summer issue cover for Point Magazine. How was, what was that like? That was, uh, it felt like it didn't feel real at first. Like I remember when they told me about it, um, I, I almost didn't, I thought it was a joke or something. I thought it was like, oh, like it must, it must be just like some, like a, a small article or like a, a little tidbit or something. I didn't know it was gonna actually be you know, the cover cover with like a spread just cause I had never experienced something like that before. And I grew up in Acton, you know, reading these point magazines and I would rip the covers off and tape them on my wall and they're still there. Wow. Um, and I just loved, I loved reading that magazine. So it was a dream come true for sure. Um, the experience was um, super humbling it made me realize that like anybody, if I could do something like that, then like anybody could really do something like that. I remember just telling, I had a conversation with my brother, Henry, when I was a kid. And I remember just being like, oh, like one day I'm gonna be on the cover of, of this magazine. And then he, and I was like, my, maybe by the time I'm like 21, like I must've been like 14 or something, 13 when I said this and I remember him being like, nah, like, nah, like that, no way. And I just remember like, no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then when it happened, I wasn't 21, but like when it happened, I just was like, Ooh, life is wild. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, um, one of the things nowadays that's talked about is rep representation and um you know is it misty copeland right is that mm -hmm. her name? yeah so she's done you know quite a bit in this industry um being the first um for several different things but uh, what are your thoughts on on that 
in, in terms of the ballet industry in general? I think this is a very exciting time um, in history for ballet. Um, you know, in terms of representation in the industry for um, black, brown, Asian uh, dancers. Um, I think there's always been uh, a sense of being behind in the ballet realm. I think that there's so many things that are just based on Eurocentric um, patterns of thinking and uh, a lot of misogyny um, in the sense where it's like there's a lot of uh, males dominating the um, higher up positions in the dance world. Um, but I think with our current uh, our current political um, environment that we're in, I think that the dance world is, um, you know, there's a lot of speaking up going on from the dancer's perspective. I think it's it's been a while where the dancers have kind of been in a, like a forced silence almost where um, you can speak out on things, but at the same time, like you understand that there's this um, feeling of being disposable at any moment if you, um, you know, upset the wrong person or if you stir the pot a little too much, like there's always that fear um, that has just been instilled in the dancer's voice. But now I think, um, you know, with um, especially the George Floyd um, murder, I feel like since then, I think dancers have just been like outwardly, like, like demanding of justice um, within the dance world, including like having representation, not just um, tokenizing dancers of color um, for, you know, the look of inclusion, but like understanding the importance of having dancers of color um, in administrative roles, in director roles, um, being able to be in the artistic staff, like having some sort of influence on um, the front of the room and not just like hiring dancers um, that, um, include people other than you know white folks so that's really cool and i think in time there will be choreography that's more representative of of um you know all people i think there's going to be um, music that's going to be uh, incorporated into ballets i think there's going to be a lot of um you know just kind of putting away a lot of old um outdated uh racist uh you know, language or just choreography that exists out there. I think we're on the right path and there's a lot of good directors that are um, really advocating for what's right and a lot of uh, white allies that are speaking out as well. And um, I'm really, I'm really excited to see how things go. Yeah. Um, taking care of your body. Any, any pieces of advice there? <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, the body, I think at this point in my life, I'm realizing it's so wise. Like there's a lot of wisdom in our body that I think um, once we understand that, then we feel more inclined to, to protect it, to take care of it um, and to listen to it. I think it's so common for, um, for dancers to kind of, you know, they're, they go all in, like, obviously, like they're, they pursued such an intense career. But um, when it comes to health, um, you know, when it comes to uh, how we treat our body, there's a lot of um, harshness, there's a lot of like, rough, uh, you know, we think that being rough on it will, will kind of acclimate it to being in a rough environment. It's like we have that strange notion thinking it's gonna help us. But I think ultimately just being able to sit with the body, hydrating, hydrating is number one um, for the brain more than anything. And then once you have that, then you can just kind of feel like, okay, what's hurting? Um, what's sore? What's, what's needing some love? And just like, I think approaching the body in a place of love and gentleness and wanting to nurture it. I think that is something that um, that is actually more helpful like when being put in a difficult environment because then you can actually heal yourself as opposed to just giving more um difficulty to your body and um having expectations of it having you know just 
bogging yourself down constantly instead of just being gentle. Um, yoga is great um, yeah. in terms of strength building. Uh, it's really good for getting that sense of groundedness um, and not just um, being passive. And um, yeah, I would just say hydrating and nutrition, just whenever you can just eat real food, <laughs> like real <laughs> vegetables, real, uh, you know, not protein bars, not um, sugar-free, uh, fat-free, all that <laughs> gunk, just yeah. something that came from the earth. Yeah. How has uh, COVID been for you and, and the industry? Mm, it's transformative, for sure. Um, there's a lot of great, great ideas that are coming out of the dance industry with uh, the pandemic. I think the dancers have provided so much creativity, like that has shocked, I think, you know, anybody that's on the marketing team, I feel like, or, um, that realm of dance um, where there's all these other factors and people that come into play um, that might not be dancers themselves. I think um, they have been like super supportive of dancers bringing ideas to the table. And that's cool because um, prior to the pandemic, dancers didn't necessarily have any obligations other than to dance. So um, with the pandemic, you know, there was a lot more uh, interviews happening, like being able to shape your voice, which I struggled with, I know, and I still do. But um, that was like a big push for bum um, to just kind of get people speaking, being able to um, make videos, being able to edit videos, being able to um, collaborate with people, um, just find ways to make ballet and dance accessible. Um, you know, just really good stuff that I think um, I know there's a lot of negatives and I, I, as much as I would like to bring up those, I think really the positives have been so overwhelming. And now that people are starting to get back on stage, um, I think there's a lot of optimism that is, you know, being felt. And um, I think that's just wonderful. Like knowing that the people that still are, you know, just um, in the industry, they're finding, they're maybe uh, rediscovering their love for the, the art form and that's wonderful. Um, but I personally am just excited for uh, the creative um, reroutes, I guess, that have come yeah. from this. Um, yeah. And I think that's definitely a, a result of the pandemic. Yeah. You uh, recently decided not to renew your contract at Ballet West. Do you want to talk about, you know, that decision and, and what you hope um, as you progress in this new direction? Um, sorry, can you repeat the last part of that question? No, no I just, you, you didn't, you decided not to renew your, mm -hmm. your contract. Um, I'm just curious, you know, what went into that decision and, you know, what other areas are you maybe looking to explore or, you know, and things of that nature? Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for asking that question because I think that's something that um, it, it feels very uh, unknown still. Like, I think the initial desire to not return my contract the next season, it came from just being in a place of presence where instead of planning ahead, I've been more trying to just take what comes with me every day. Um, and you know, I'm currently in Chicago and I feel like what I've been experiencing here um, has been like really, uh, you know, there's been like a paradigm, a paradigm shift almost with just how I uh, want to navigate my time and my actions. And, um, you know, I think the idea of going back to Salt Lake and then returning to this lifestyle that I had been you know, so familiar with for five years. Like it definitely felt like while I was there before the pandemic hit, it definitely started to reach a feeling of complacency where um, I didn't feel myself growing in ways that I necessarily wanted to, but I felt like I was just trying to keep up with the work and produce what I can, even though I felt so exhausted. Um, 
you know? And so my director with Ballet West, Adam, I like got to be honest with him about all these things and he was so supportive and he listened to my perspective and um, he showed like just so much patience and kindness through it. And so when I decided to not return my contract, I just, I felt like it, I didn't have to be afraid to, to admit that I felt it was just better for me to be present and to see what could happen here in Chicago or wherever um, because he, gave me that support. And um, so, yeah, it was a very positive change. It was a very positive decision. And moving forward, like I, I really just hope to get into collaborative projects. I would love to just get to know uh, different artists that um, share similar values and, um, you know, deeper meanings um, to life as, as me. Um, I would like to, just kind of pave a path that I maybe uh, haven't seen before. Um, you know, a lot of my favorite musicians, like they, they, you know, had to figure things out in their current time and they maybe not, they, they perhaps weren't even realized for their work until after their death. So, you know, I hope to try and just follow my own gut, um, see what comes, um, put in as much work as I would, like with, the professional ballet, like contractual realm and just take that energy and put it into like my daily choices and just hope that this different approach um, will generate like uh, the community and uh, collaborations that I'm looking for um, without really having any expectations or foresight in any of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that's awesome that you're, I think so many people don't make the decision you do, you did uh, because they're afraid of the unknown, but knowing yourself and having the self-awareness to to trust your gut and see the possibilities uh, that may come through the decision, I think that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, Emily, we talked about a good amount of things. Was there something? you wanted to talk about that we didn't? Mm, well, let me think. I think, sorry if you hear noise, by the way, I have a bunch no, of roommates, um, lovely people. Yeah. Yeah, I think just, I would like to talk about the idea of, in it, uh, how do I, yeah, whatever. I'm just gonna say it how it is. I wanna talk about love. I think okay. it's important that that has been, um, that is a, a very important idea that I think was introduced into my life. You know, obviously it's, it's always in our lives, but um, with the pandemic, I think the idea of self-love, uh, it was just like absolutely forefront of my mind. Just like, how do I, how do I not freak out right now? How do I not um, have just anxiety up the roof? Like, how do I not just feel stressed? Like all these things that um, were so natural for me to, just go into like that way of being. Um, and so love, um, you know, we live in a world that it's, uh, you know, it's currently a, <laughs> a capitalist patriarchy. <laughs> um, and I think the idea of like power being a big force in our life, um, it brings a lot of fear to people. It brings a lot of um, comparison. It brings a lot of high expectation of like, how do I, um, avoid being someone that has no power. Like that is, I think, a fear of many people, especially coming from um, immigrant parents. It's like, you're just, we're worried for your kids um, in, in surviving the, the country pretty much and being able to have a, a quote unquote good life. Um, so now my attention has shifted to the idea of love where, um, you know, if everybody had this sense of awareness within themselves, this presence of love, self-love, um, and could tap into it as a place of healing and peace and um, just being able to be present, then, you know, we, it's the energy emits itself. Like you, you bring in other people and it starts creating a collective, um, like uh, awareness of like 
being loving to yourself and to others. And then knowing that that is like the main thing to protect um, with your relationships and uh, your career and like the choices that you make. Um, so love, I think is so important to, to just bring up as a, a means of, it's not necessarily something that comes from elsewhere, but from within first, um, because um, if there was that collective uh, care and respect of love within the self and others, then we wouldn't have a need for power. We wouldn't have a need for wanting to one-up somebody or be above or below somebody. We wouldn't have to be so fearful and selfish and that would exterminate those desires in people. Um, so I think that's something that bringing it up more often is just something that needs to happen like in our in our uh generation especially like we all have um a choice at this point of where we want to go and yeah i think it's just worth mentioning yeah oh that's a great point um yeah cool well emily i i just want to thank you for for being on and, and sharing your experience um, to becoming a, a professional ballet dancer that it was, you know, it was cool to, I respect <laughs> everybody in your profession to make a move at like 15 to, to be taking something so seriously. I can't imagine my 15 year old self committing to something so seriously. Well, you got here. You're doing. You're doing. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're doing these interviews, and I think that is awesome. That yeah. you, whatever you chose, has led you to this way of being. But that was at like 25, so it was. That's okay. <laughs> it's incredible maturity for, you know, everybody in your industry that at a young age commits to their craft. Um, so yeah, just want to thank you and acknowledge you on on. Um, it's just cool to, you know, see, you know, someone move from a trainee to a, a soloist, you know, that's good for, for everyone to see that that type of progression is possible. Um, and uh, I just want to wish you the best going forward with, you know, all the possibilities and whatever goes on this year. Um, if there's anybody that wants to reach out to you or follow your journey do you want to uh let them know how they can do that yeah i i'm on instagram um my let, let me look up my handle <laughs> so i <don't> understand <laughs> um so em underscore underscore n-e-a-l-e -E. it looks like m neil that's my uh dance account Nice. And then I also have like a personal account. If anybody else wants to follow, it's it's on it's in the the caption of my main account anyway. Um, and yeah, you can always reach out to me on there. Um, I'm usually I'll delete the app every once in a while, but I'll usually go back just to see if there's any messages. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't really I'm not on Facebook these days, so <laughs> I'd yeah. say that's the best way. Sounds good. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. This is so cool. Like, I, I, when I got your message, I was really just so pleased. I was like, wow, like someone from AV, someone reaching out, like doing something in the world. I'm honored. And like, I really loved your questions. I loved this whole process. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. <laughs>